Hello, everybody. Welcome to a great edition here of the Fin Maniacs podcast. Jason Sarney here. And a terrific guest here. We have David Berman, the deputy editor of sports betting for ESPN. David, how you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. Doing well. You know, the, the wind totals are out. We're uh, into baseball season. And, you know, the draft is less than two well, it's about a week from tomorrow. So uh, it's down out there. The draft's an exciting time. Big time for us at ESPN in terms of how much we cover it. So it's a, it never lets up. Uh, hopefully June and July will be a little quiet. But uh, looking forward to the draft next week. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, uh, we see for all those watching through the video channels that you are, in fact, a Dolphin fan with the perfect season number 72 yes. <laughs> jersey there. Um, you've done such terrific things in sports. You've done a number of specific sports. You've done media. If you could just touch through your journey and let us know what kind of got you into sports and how you became what you are today at ESPN. Sure. I'm originally from down in South Florida, born and raised in, in Pembroke Pine. So I'm a native of South Florida. Parents have had Dolphin season tickets since Shula's first year way back in the 60s, right through the perfect season. Obviously, you know, even though you may think so, I was not around during that. Um, I, I was born and raised in the Marino days. You know, my first game was 1984 and rode it all the way through high school and, and went to college, University of Florida, as you can see from behind and uh, went home as often as I could to see the Dolphins play. And did various stints around the country working in sports. And, and now that I'm up in the Northeast, I do go to Dolphins Jets, Dolphins Patriots every single year. So I get to see the Dolphins at least twice a year, as painful as it is to go to Foxborough. Uh, but in terms of getting into the field, I, I was a senior at Cooper City High School and listening to WQAM radio in Miami when Hank Goldberg kind of screamed out loud that he was looking for somebody to help in the, in the office. And, and, and his rat-infested, bug-infested studios, as he called it, were right across the street from my high school. So I went over to WQAM and offered my services to do whatever, whether it was uh, print off scores off the ticker at the time, you know, pre-internet days, help write some of the sports updates that you would hear at the top of the bottom of every hour. Um, I was a, wanted to be a broadcaster myself, so whatever I could to help out. Um, and basically that turned into a full-out internship during that summer before I went to Florida. Uh, after I graduated high school, I, I worked with the Marlins broadcast team as, as an assistant up in the booth as an intern. Did that for a couple of summers during college uh, while working at the University of Florida covering their football and baseball and softball and all the great uh, sports that they have at the University of Florida. Um, did some minor league stints, wanting to be in the play-by-play, -play, went to single-A ball in Kane County, uh, which was the Marlins single-A affiliate, back to the Marlins. Uh, in 2002, and then went out west to be the AAA PR director for the Albuquerque Isotopes, which was the Marlins AAA affiliate at the time. Um, also came back in 03 to help with the World Series run and everything. So uh, lots of Marlins stuff. I know you mentioned the jersey, and uh, if you look down there, you'll see all the Marlins memorabilia. But eventually, while working in Albuquerque, I, I worked a little bit for ESPN, and that got me a full-time job uh, in Bristol, where, where I currently am, working in the stats information department. I spent the better part of the first 14 years of my career working in the stats and information field, helping all of their live events um, and, and remote events as well. So whether it was Sports Center, Baseball Tonight, uh, College Game Day, and then continued into uh, what became, um, I was traveling with, with our golf remotes, working British Open, U.S. Open, and, and the Masters, and eventually started a small group at ESPN, and it sounds funny now, but uh, that concentrated on sports betting, sports betting content that we could push to the shows back when it wasn't legal and nobody was listening to us. But as you know, the Supreme Court overturned the decision in 2018, which led to uh, an opening where we would push sports betting content. And uh, that's what I do now. About two years ago, 
after launching uh, Daily Wager on TV, I moved over to take over the digital side, ESPN Chalk. I oversee that now and work with Daily Wager uh, and our bet shows every single day to produce sports betting content for basically the entire company. That's a terrific story. And I love how you put so much um, differentiation into your career, which led to you into what seems to be your passion. And yes. that is a story that I love to kind of preach to all the young um, individuals out there trying to maybe find a job or find, as you said, a number of times an internship or getting your foot in the door. So do you have any kind of motivational word? I mean, I'm sure not all of these were quote unquote paid, David, you know, I've been um, there too. None of them were there you go. Quote unquote, paid. Um, and that's not easy. That's not for everybody to do. I did have to take another job in the mornings before going and working at the stadium at night. Uh, worked at school on radio and TV and got paid minimum wage to work at the University of Florida TV and radio while also doing some internships. And my advice would be simply, if you really, really want to do it, go do it. Um, you know, whether you have to make ends meet any which way possible, but don't worry about getting rich quickly because that's not going to happen in the sports field. Yes, I, I make a good salary now and I've been in the field over 20 years. Um, but you got to start somewhere. And I used to joke back in the day that I could write the book, How to Be an Intern. And, and I might do that one day because you had three Marlins internships. I interned at Florida. I went back and worked for WSBN 7 for a summer in 1999. Um, so I have upwards of five different internships where combined I got zero dollars. Uh, but I did get college credit at some point during that process. So that sort of, you know, eventually does count for dollars. Um, but those experiences, you can't put a price tag on it, quite honestly. I went to my first job fair in 2000, the baseball winter meetings, which everybody has read all about. I went in 2000 to Dallas uh, on my own dime, um, obviously with parents' help and stuff since I was still in college, to a job fair where it was me and 499 other males looking for the same five or six jobs in the industry, me mostly play-by-play. Um, and what differentiated me when I wound up with about six job offers from the same job fair was what I had on my resume. And on my resume, I had three years with the Florida Marlins, one year with, uh, you know, Fox affiliate in South Florida, um, along with covering the University of Florida, all their different sports teams, being on radio, being on TV, all of which were unpaid, but at the same time, it's a resume builder. And you really have to build that resume and you know, not when you're in college, you're not going to have all of the work experiences of being a professional, but in the last section where it says, what else you'll have worked 2000 BCS national title game, worked 1997 world series, um, worked back in the day, they called it the Lipton 500 there in Miami, just go out there and get those things on your resume. Because then when they're looking at 500 people at one job fair, they want the experience to stand out. And I've gone in and done speaking engagements at the University of Miami and Florida and Florida State and even as far west as Arizona. And I tell people when I look at resumes, I look at work experience. Like, yeah, it's good that you obviously you need a degree, um, hopefully from an accredited school. But really what I look for is the work experiences. What did you do on that resume to, to help you out? Well said. And, uh, you know, just to give a couple of uh, kind of a little, little bit of color commentary on my experiences to match with, you know, what you did in your college experiences. I, I did it all in Buffalo. I went to the University of Buffalo. And that's not necessarily in terms of the College of Sports hotbed, but I was on the field as a sports editor for their first win in Division One. But prior to the game ending, I was working as a statistician for Spiro Didis. 
And that's go. someone who I met in my first job out of college at the NBA when he just stopped by the Secaucus, New Jersey office to cut some tape. I was doing my job at night, graveyard shifts, cutting tape, and we had a conversation. So if I ever run into Spiro Ditas, there's that connection. It's all about networking and making those connections. And, you know, you and I came up in a day and age where there was no LinkedIn, there was no Twitter. So students now, you have access to all these ways to communicate with those people. And, and, and I tell people all the time, listen, yeah, I, I held the, the curtain that opened the area where the players walked in and out during a national championship game. It was the FedEx curtain at the Orange Bowl. But at the same time, I was working the 2000 national championship game. And sure, I've gotten to hold cable before, and it's not the most luxurious job in the world, but you hold cable during, you know, dur during a major sporting event, you're there, you're meeting people, you're, you're, I, I laugh, you get a Rolodex of business cards nowadays, you just go on LinkedIn and Twitter and, and Instagram, but at the time, yeah, you, you, I remember I moved about a month ago from one house to another, and I went through some old stuff, and I had a stack of business cards that was this high with phone numbers and contacts, and they were all people in South Florida that I had met, some are still there, some are still on TV and radio. Hi, Joe Rose. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you just, you get to know these people that, that will help you later on in your career. The very first phone call I made when I had an interview with ESPN was, was to former Marlins broadcaster, Dave O'Brien, who at that point in time was working for ESPN and wanted to know about the company. And so I called him and I was his intern for years. You know, I may have been getting him coffee and popcorn, but I was also updating him on the home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. So oh, on great. one, you know, you do all the things that you don't want to do, like, you know, get someone popcorn, but you're also giving him that Mark McGuire just hit his 43rd home run on, on way to 70. So those are the type of experiences that you, you can't put a price tag on and that you can make those phone calls a dozen year later to, hey, remember when I was your intern? You're like, I'm about to accept the job at ESPN. What can you tell me? That's so great. And my last little tidbit there, just you gave me kind of an opening. Uh, one of my best memories ever in that press box in University of Buffalo was my sports information director said, hey, Jason, do me a favor, grab some coffee and a brownie and go deliver it to that guy over there. And I'm like, who is that? He's like, that's Bill Polian. And he was there from the Bills, general manager, one of the greatest executives of all time, just checking some players. And we had about a 45 second conversation remember it for the rest of my life it was awesome but what i really want to go ahead no i was gonna say like the the former president of espn george bodenheimer who is a titan in the industry of, of of espn and helping espn go from a small regional thing to a major massive network he started in the mailroom and one of his first gigs was to drive to the airport and pick up dickie v every day it was one of his jobs it was just as a driver you're in the mailroom now go pick up dick vitale and bring him back and that guy eventually became the president of espn so that is an awesome story, and Dickie Vitale is one of the one of the original, the, the cornerstones of ESPN. Everyone loves Dickie V. So let's get into some Miami Dolphins win totals. Sure. You know, I saw your tweet when the win totals came out, and I gotta tell you, a lot of people a little, a little surprised that it declined from the ten that the 2020 win total was. It's at nine. I'd love to hear your thought process of that initial number. Sure, I, I think people have to understand that. Yeah, the Dolphins won 10, 10 games last year. Uh, with a rookie quarterback and not a lot of weapons and they're expected to improve this year. So on one front, I can understand why people are like, well, why is it nine if they won 10 last year, arguably have a quote-unquote easier schedule, going to be getting weapons another year, so you would think that they would get better. Probably true. And if I had to put my money on it, I would say the Dolphins, depending on what they do next week in the draft, should be at least a 10-win team. So that nine looks pretty inviting. 
Also, if you keep in mind, the Dolphins were not a 10-win team last year. They were projected for six wins. They overperformed. Their defense did things that probably isn't sustainable. You're not going to get 10, or 10 interceptions from Xavier and Howard again. Um, and they had a lot of good special teams, and their kicker was awesome, and they made a lot of turnovers on defense, turning into points. There were games where the Dolphins didn't need any offense because they had so many defensive and special teams touchdowns. So I, I believe that the Dolphins at 10-6 and six last year not something I'd like to admit or the Dolphins aren't going to hear, did overperform. And I, I think everybody can agree that 10, 10 and 6 was probably as good as it was going to get last year, although they did have a chance to make the playoffs. So really that statistically speaking and, and everything else in terms of regression, they were probably a 7 or 8 win team last year that had the ball bounce their way more times than not. So putting the following years, and that's what the bookmakers look at. They don't just look at, you know, Team X won 10 games they have more weapons, they should win 11 games next year. It, it, you're not going to win money doing that. They look at the Dolphins as reasonably an eight-win team last year who are going to get better, and so they gave them nine wins this year. I was actually projecting it to be nine based on what I saw last year, so the number came in at exactly what I figured the number would play. If forced to play it, I would take the over because I think they have a strong coaching staff that can coach them to at least nine wins. You also have the extra game, which – People are like, well, exactly. they won 10 games last year. They're getting an extra game. They're going to get better. You assume they're going to get better. Um, but better, I don't put better in the context of they won 10. I put better as a context of they were probably an 8-8 eight eight team last year that got 10 wins. I mean, there was one game where they had 150 yards of offense and won by 30. So <laughs> those things don't happen. Right, the Rams game. The Rams game is something that the bookmakers look at saying that's not sustainable. Just like, you know, I don't know if you golf, but I golf. There are times where I try I'd be like I, I shot at an 84, but I didn't deserve an 84. Or I shot a 97, but I really deserved an 89. That's more like Same it. thing with the Dolphins. They were 10 and 6, but statistically speaking, they were probably along the lines of an 8-win team, which is why as crushing as it was for them not to make the playoffs, not sure how far they would have gone. So the bookmakers are saying, okay, they were probably a 7 or 8-win team, which was better than the 6 that were projected. Put them at 9. Look at the schedule. I would probably take the over, especially with the extra game. But I think it's a very, very fair number if you consider, hey, the Chiefs are 12. The Chiefs won 13 games last year. They're probably a better team. And you get another game. It's not necessarily based on your record. It's based on what you should have been. It's the, you know, the, 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 different, the, the different metrics that go into win theory and everything else is, you could be a 92-win baseball team, but you probably should have been an 85-win baseball team. I really like the way that you objectively describe that, especially, look, for anyone just jumping into the conversation, uh, you know, David's a Dolphin fan. So, so right. as the objective hat of an ESPN deputy editor in betting, you basically threw away your bias and you were dead on because I don't have an argument for anything that you said at all. Right. Frankly, because the same like that Rams game, you have Andrew Van Ginkle run back a 72-yard touchdown. If that didn't happen, the game might be closer, but, you know, I, I get it. You look at the Arizona game where they missed a field goal at the end that could have won it for yeah. Arizona. You look at um, the Vegas game, which although I felt <sighs> like they outplayed Vegas, it took a miracle to win it. it. Everything bounced the Dolphins' way last year. When they lost, they got their butts kicked. They got crushed by Denver. They got crushed by uh, Buffalo at the Buffalo. end. But the close games, they won them all. So when you look at a team that goes six and one in one score games, 
that's not sustainable. And the bookmakers know that. I'm not saying the Dolphins are going to win 10 games, so I don't want Dolphin Nation to. You're good. No, you're, you're friendly right now. Um, I, I would still <laughs> bet the over, but I just want to give people a behind the scenes look at everybody has power ratings when it comes to setting these lines. And even at 10 wins last year in the playoffs until the last week of the season, the, you know, the Dolphins were not among the top 12 in the power rankings because they did not play, statistically speaking, they, they were not a top 12 team, even though going into the Buffalo game, they were in the top 12. Record is not always indicative of how good or bad you are. And, and it has been flipped. The Dolphins have had seven and nine seasons where they should have won 10 or 11 games. So it works both ways. I would say looking at the body of work of the Miami Dolphins last year, they were probably a eight-win team that won 10 games. And the books are making them a nine-win team last year instead of a six-win team from the year before. So in theory, if you really dive deep, the book's giving the Dolphins three more wins than they gave them last year, which is what you would good. think. Look at last year's team and what they're going to have this year with a good draft. They're probably going to be two or three wins within the projected number. And that's all this is. This is projected win totals based on the market and based on it. Keep in mind, the draft hasn't happened and the, win, and, and the schedule hasn't come out yet. We all know who they're playing. But the schedule, I mean, those numbers are going to change in a month after the draft and after the schedule. If you find out that all of a sudden the Dolphins are front-loaded with six easy games and they can get out to a five-and-one start, all of a sudden nine wins looks a little different than if they started out with a horrific schedule, which part of last year's issue with the win total was the Dolphins were going to have a really hard first six games. Right. We all said if they can survive the first six games and go three and three, bring in Tua for the middle six, they wound up going five and one, but only because the Jets game got moved up and then you get right, two in there. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, they are four and two, I believe they went. They played a lot more. They, they played above expectation level. Absolutely played above expectation level. And what fascinates me with all, really all things arriving at numbers is the process. <laughs> so was there a day that you guys at the office and gals were just saying, all right, the wind totals are about to come out. What's churning? What's working? Can you take sure. us through that? Um, we have a partnership with Caesars William Hill that goes back a couple of years. And we have uh, every Tuesday we get on the phone with them. I represent a lot of our, our sports betting and we'll have other departments represented. And we talk with them about when's the best time to release these. And it changes every year based on what's happened. Obviously in the past books have waited until after the draft and after the schedule's out, which is usually the same time in April to then set them out probably first week of May last year. COVID, everything changed. We actually had them in April to send out, and then they redid them again afterwards. We had talked to them about doing it in May, um, but the books want to go a little bit early and get some extra traffic, and so we all agreed to do it last Friday, and then everybody else followed suit. You know, William Hill was first to market, so we were proud of that, and we planned a big whole thing about it. So once we decide we're doing it, you then get Sports Center on board, get up, first take, social uh, Daily Wager, all the NFL Live, all the different shows that can legally talk about this stuff because it's different now than it was two years ago. Two years ago, three years ago, you couldn't talk about this stuff. Now you can. And as you saw, it was on every single um, platform at our company. Um, by far and away, the you know I sent out the win totals. I didn't send out my opinion. I didn't send out my writer's opinions. I just sent out the win totals, and it's the, the single most impression tweet that I've ever had in my entire life. So... <laughs> 
People love their win totals. People love their win totals. People love all aspects of football. And I think that the best thing that the NFL does in uh, beyond any other sport that we've ever seen in this country is it's become 12 months, even in terms of what the schedule is going to come out. We're dealing with draft right now. Even when you have those OTAs, training camp, there's really never more than four weeks where something's not happening. And when the win totals do change, let's just go over before we, you know, wrap up. There's got to be a team or two or three teams, either on a good or bad spike that you're looking at, that could be the moneymaker. So first off, before we wrap up on Miami, is there a buy endorsement for that Miami over, or are we still waiting to see what happens in the draft? I would like to see what happens in the draft. The Dolphins come away with three day one starters. Um, I, I would I would tend to do the over. I'm, I'm, while we're talking, I'm looking at the schedule. You, you do have the extra game against the Giants. You got Jacksonville, Houston. Um, they, they, they do very well against Vegas. You got to give them probably at least 500 in the division. That's probably seven wins if you add them all up. And you go ahead and if you go three and one against the NFC South, all of a sudden you have a 10 win team. So um, I think if they can go three and one against the South, three and one against the other South, and then <clears throat> split your games against Vegas and Baltimore, and then win half your games in your division, that's 10 wins right there. So I would play the over. Uh, but I do want to see what happens in the draft, and and, and I'm not going to play any of these until the draft comes. I absolutely agree with a little bit of if you're going to do something early pre-draft, imagine if the Dolphins crush it and sure. that spikes sure. to 10, or I don't know if they'll spike to a half. It'll be mostly juice moves. You probably won't see a lot of these numbers move It'll off the number. You would probably see, you know, if they, I don't know what it is right now, but if, say, the Dolphins were 9 minus 120, it might go to – nine minus 180 to make you think yeah. twice about it or maybe nine and a half I don't see it ever getting to 10 so yeah if you do like the Dolphins I would probably jump on it before the draft because you've got to expect the team having two first round picks and an early second round pick that you're going to use those to better your team so if you do like the over jump on it before the juice gets too high love it who's the uh a little bit too much for your blood a little bit uh fool's gold right there this might shock some people because they've been so good and they've been arguably the best regular season team the last two years but based on what I saw in the playoffs and based on the schedule that they have I think setting the number at 11 for the Ravens is a little high now they've topped 11 wins each of the last two years with Lamar Jackson so I'm speaking from somebody who would have lost that if I took the under the last two years uh, but if you look closely at their schedule you know you got your division where Cleveland's getting even better Cleveland's projected to almost be the favorite in that win that division. They got 10 wins is their projected number. You got Pittsburgh twice. You got Cleveland twice. You're playing the AFC West, Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, etc., Vegas. And you also got the NFC North where you're getting Green Bay, Minnesota, Detroit, and Chicago. So on the Baltimore schedule, you got Green Bay. You got the Chargers. You got Kansas City. You got Cleveland twice. You got Pittsburgh twice. Other games include the Dolphins, improved, Indianapolis, improved, and the extra game, we're just going to give you the Los Angeles Rams just as an extra game. So that's a tough schedule. Not saying Baltimore can't go 11-5. and five. They've done it the last two years. Got one of the best coaches, got the MVP at quarterback. That's a tough schedule to win 11 games on. Um, if anybody can do it, it it's, you know, that, that Harbaugh and, and, and Lamar. Um, but staring down Cleveland twice, Pittsburgh twice, Kansas City, Chargers, Green Bay, Minnesota, Rams, Miami, Indy, 
you're going to have to win most of those to get to 11. So to me, that is one that I'm eyeing as that's a possible underplay for me because, you know, if the Ravens went 10 and six and tied them, they actually were 10 and five going to the last week last year. And then they won the last game to get to 11. So it's not that hard to think that they would only win 10 this year. I'll tell you the truth. I love that you mentioned the Ravens because I'll tell you a strategic scheduling, the Ravens own the Dolphins. Every, every Dolphin fan knows that. I think there might be one or two wins in history of Dolphins Ravens for the Dolphins. So if there's an early week, one, two, three game, the last time they met was a shellacking of the 2019 opener. There's a revenge mindset. Flores knows that there's a bulletin board. So if it's an early potential W for the Dolphins against the home matchup Raven team, I don't know. That could make York uh, under correct with Baltimore and all Dolphins happy with potentially 10 wins. So on the flip side, is there a team that is just screaming the over for you? Yeah, I was actually surprised to see Arizona at eight. And I know Arizona is not a big public team. They're kind of one of the lost forgotten childs out West. They just did add J.J. Watt. You got Kyler Murray and Hopkins as another dynamic duel going forward for another year together when they just got together last year. Almost made the playoffs last year with eight wins when they had they, they, they lost three of their last four games. You look at their schedule, you got Houston, who's going to be terrible. Carolina, we don't know what we're going to get. You got Chicago, you got Detroit, you got Jacksonville, and you got Minnesota. All six of those games are winnable. And that's before you start talking about their division, which they're highly competitive in. Even though they're not the best team in their division, they have competed with Seattle, San Francisco, and, and those teams every single year where, like, Arizona is just not the team you want to play when you're in that division. So I think with the extra game and having 17 games, if you were to say, hey, we're going to do this entire pool, are you picking Arizona over or under 500? I'm saying Arizona is an over 500 team, adding J.J. Watt, having Hopkins, having another year of Kyler Murray, and having at least six winnable games before I even talk about the division. I think they can win nine games. I'm actually very surprised they're only at eight. And that's one I would hop on before it moves. I'm going to hop on that because I agree with that. And I think that that could be a very exciting team to watch if they stay healthy. One of the more uh, dynamic receiving cores and a quarterback who could just really kind of do things by himself and Kyler Murray. So with that said, terrific insight on both the Dolphins and the league overall. And I really appreciate the stories that you told on your path. And if you can let everyone know out there, regardless of their fan affiliation, really what's coming from ESPNs on the gambling side of things, it's really kind of like the golden age of sports sure. betting. Well, just last week, if anybody watched it on ESPN2, we had a, a bet cast um, against the, the Sixers. We had the Sixers next game on ESPN1, and we did a bet cast on ESPN2 with uh, Doug Kazarian and crew from Vegas, and we produced it back in Bristol, and that was the first of its kind for our network, and we're going to continue to try to do more of those. And next week is wall-to-wall draft coverage. We're going to have our uh, our best bets NFL drafts out next Tuesday, as well as some feature columns from David Purdom, who's our, our, our big sports betting writer. Uh, that'll be out next week as well. And then, you know, once we turn around the draft, you'll have the NFL schedule release coming up, uh, among with twice a week we have NBA content. If you uh, look right now at ESPN Chalk, you'll see the Wednesday best bets, Friday best bets. We're going to be adding hockey down the line. Uh, and we'll continue pushing and doing more and more. We do golf every single week as well. So it's ESPN Chalk, or you can follow it at, uh, at DBearman ESPN is my Twitter handle. And I usually tweet out all of the stories, if not stats and everything else. And once in a while, I'll make fun of my son on there. That's excellent, David. You guys do some terrific work. I'm excited uh, to see what you guys have um, in the next coming week for, for the draft. And everyone, you guys could find David Berman on on Twitter at at the Berman ESPN. 
And uh, if there's anything else you can say, I'm not going to let you get out of here without your Mount Rushmore favorite Dolphins of all time, David. Mount Rushmore favorite Dolphins of all time will begins and ends with Dan Marino. Obviously. Danny uh, was my entire childhood, and I've been fortunate enough to work with him and met him a couple of times. Um, I would love to just put Danny and the Marx Brothers up there, but that's too easy. Um, I would probably say Marino, Zach Thomas. I mean, we all want to go with Greasy and Zonka, but I didn't see them play, um, so it would be cheating. Um, I'll go Nat Moore for personal reasons, which we don't have time to get into. So Nat Moore. Um, just happened to be golfing at um, say, what, what was it? Royal Sable Palm, whatever. I had my bar mitzvah. He was golfing <laughs> that day. So, and my theme was the Dolphins. And he came in and signed autographs. And then he also is an analyst on the Gator TV nation TV station. So I worked with him for yeah, many years. Sure, so Matt sure. Moore, Marino, Zach Thomas. We'll throw in John Offerdahl. Oh, I love it. Love it. Great. Throw in John Offerdahl. Great backer. Great burgers. And I mean. Jason Taylor would have been there, but he played for the Jets for a year, and it's hard to soured a little bit. Right. I love I'll never Islanders. let uh, I'll never let that Jet taint ruin the JT, but it hurt bad being a Long Islander. He uh, he came to do. He worked for us for one year on NFL Live and in, in the yep. studio, and I, I saw him in the building one day, and I was introduced to him as huge Dolphins fan, Jason Taylor, and I literally said, "Why'd you sign with the Jets?" Uh, what you yep, we don't. Yeah, and he actually said, he actually said, you know, the Dolphins had Thurman Thomas. I go, yeah, every time he got a carry, I close my eyes. I refuse to watch Thurman Thomas carry the ball. He was a heck of a pass blocker, though, David. He was. He was. He was. It's just it, – it's hard. You know? it, it, it's hard. And you really don't want to wrap up a Dolphin show on Thurman Thomas and pass blocking. But what I will do is I will say thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. And I really, truly appreciate chopping it up with you, David. Absolutely. Anytime. And hopefully during the season we'll get on here and talk about some wins. Oh, I would love to talk about 10-plus wins for Miami. Works for me. Have a go and fins up. Oh.